Welcome to Revive Family, Parenting in the 21st Century with researcher, author, lecturer, counselor, and coach, Jeff Schott. Jeff has written Influential Parenting, a comprehensive program designed to help parents become important influencers in guiding their kids to success. He also wrote the book, Going, Going, Gone, about kids departing the faith they were raised in. Learn more about the program and the book at revivefamily.com. Welcome to Revive Families Connecting Hearts. I'm Jeff Schott, the founder of Revive Family and the author of the Influential Parenting Program that helps parents target the heart by going after the root of the issue rather than whacking away on the surface. I'm also the author of Going, Going, Gone, a great book that looks into why kids are leaving the faith. And this week, we're continuing our series looking into influence and why it works. And we're going to continue the series talking about this word authority. It's one of those words that we can really camp on as parents because we are in the position of authority within our homes. But then we have to wrestle with how does that work within a parenting relationship? Does authority lead to the type of relationship we want with our kids? Does it build influence with our kids or does it get in the way? Now that's an interesting thought. Does authority get in the way of a healthy, productive, influential relationship with your kids? And then as our kids get older, we need to ask ourselves the question, who needs to have the authority over their lives? Clearly when our kids are infants, when they're toddlers, we have to lean more into the authority side of a relationship with our kids. But even there, we found with our youngest, Eric, our trailer, who's the fourth in the line of all the kids, that influence worked far better than authority. So in this program, we're going to be exploring this whole concept of what is authority how does it work? How is it impacting our relationship with our kids? And is it the place we want to reside? Is it the place that's going to lead to the type of families and connected hearts we want to have with our kids? Will it build the type of deep influence we want to have in our kids' lives? Last week, we talked about this whole concept of building confidence into our kids. Kids that would be confident enough to know who they are what they believe in and what they stand for and stick to it, even when everything around them may be screaming that that isn't the easiest way. That isn't as much fun. And let's face it, when we're being responsible, when we're making good, right decisions, it often isn't as fun as other things, but it does lead to success. It does lead to a sense of purpose. It does lead to a sense of of accomplishment, where when I'm coaching many of the teenagers and early 20s kids I'm talking to that haven't stood for anything, that have kind of gone with the flow, fallen into the youth culture, they're telling me it's not fulfilling. So if we want to have confident kids, how do we accomplish that? And does authority build those confident kids? If you didn't listen to last week's program on building confidence in your kids, I recommend you go to our site, revivefamily.com, sign up and listen to the podcast from last week's program. So in this series on influence, we're going to keep coming back to the definition of influence that I find the most helpful and that has transformed my family, my relationship with my kids. And that definition of influence is the act or power of producing an effect without apparent exertion of force or direct exercise of command. So that's the definition of influence that I've found to be so powerful in my family, in my kids' lives. 
and frankly, more powerful than when I used to be a more control, protect, authority-based parent. So now let's explore the definition of authority. Authority is the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. He had absolute authority over his subordinates. And clearly, as parents, we have that position. We have that authority. We have that ability to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience in our homes. The question is, is that the best way to lead? The question is, does that produce the types of results in our kids' lives that we want to have? Does it produce the type of relationship with our kids that we want to have? And even more importantly, does it give us the genuine influence in our kids' lives or not? It's been fascinating as we struggled to change the way we parented over, really, frankly, a seven, eight, nine-year period with our different kids. Thankfully, God gave us four kids, now age 23 to 11, one married, one in college, one uh, working on his driver's license, and the next all the way down, just getting out of fifth grade. And he gave us the time to take all the research and all the learning we were doing with YTN and now Revive Family to dig in and really try and put things to action. And it's been fascinating because originally, man, it was so natural to go to authority, to go to that exercise of command, to enforce obedience in my home. And yet, as time went on, and as we listened, and we learned, and as we grew, and we studied, and I, and I even looked at Jesus as the example, and my heart began to change. The, my whole view of life began to change. It was fascinating that as we stepped into this influence mindset of parenting, that whenever we would slip back to using authority, we would immediately see the adverse effects it was having on our kids. I'll never forget a time the kids came up to me, two of them, and I just had an interaction where I went to authority with them. They literally came to me and say, Dad, what's going on? Are you okay? This isn't who you are. What's going on with you? And I had to stop and think and pray, and I had to go apologize to them and say, man, I'm just under a lot of pressure. There's a lot of things hitting right now. There's a lot of stresses. And these are the things that are going on, being very emotionally transparent with my kids. And they said, wow, can we pray for you? That was an amazing wake-up call for me as to how powerful influence truly was. Because when I slipped back to authority, my kids didn't get angry. They came, were concerned about me, and ended up praying with me. Now, that's an amazing relationship to have with kids that are in your home. At that point, I had one in high school, one in middle school, one in grade school, and one uh, down in preschool. And the two older, the two girls, are the ones that came to me, the one in high school and middle school, and said that. What I find so encouraging about that is my kids had seen, obviously, massive change in me. And they were obviously changing themselves. Because where there used to be tension and conflict, where there used to be frustration and distance, now all of a sudden they were coming to me, not afraid to come to me and say, what's going on with you? That's not who you are. And they were right. I had changed and it wasn't who I was. So let's talk more about this whole thought of authority and why maybe it's not the best way to go, even though we have the position of authority, even though we have the position of power, and we can exercise that power to demand obedience, to gain obedience from our kids. Does it produce the outcomes we're looking for? 
And for me, I have to admit, it was really difficult to let go of this position of authority in my home. As I was beginning all of this research and starting to listen to the kids and they were challenging everything I was thinking about my role as a dad in their lives, I had just exited running my own company. We had a company that had a planner division that was selling to Dillard's and JCPenney's and QVC. And we also then ended up with an internet division that was building this amazing online product that still doesn't exist today. And we were within months of an initial public offering on the stock market when the dot-com bubble burst back in 2000. That brought in tremendous change in my life, a tremendous sense of failure, uh, really almost wanting to hide and stick my head in the sand. But I think the combination of listening to all of these kids and doing this research while trying to recover from this massive perceived failure of mine related to this company was just the right mix to really begin to open my eyes, to open my heart, and to cause me to reevaluate authority as a leadership style. One of the things that began to happen at that time frame was I was actually granted a scholarship by my church to take one seminary class. And I'll never forget the night I was supposed to go to that first class. I was sitting there at dinner, licking my wounds from the failure of the company and many other things related to my dad and the divorce with my parents. It was just, it was a crazy time. And I was frankly as carnal as a brick and I didn't want to go to seminary. I'm sitting there with my two kids at that point and my wife and literally looking my wife in the eyes and saying, I don't want to go. I don't know why I'm doing this seminary is cemetery. And I went to that class and sat in Paul Wagner's Old Testament survey. And man, God spoke to me and said, this is exactly where you're supposed to be. And it was true. It was amazing what happened from there. And so the combination of all of this and going to seminary, man, really rocked my world. And in that context, I began to really look at Jesus through a different set of eyes, through the eyes of all these hundreds and thousands of kids I was talking to in these small groups and one-on-one on camera. And they were challenging everything I was thinking. And it really forced me to go back to the Bible and really dig in and go, okay, how did Jesus lead? How did he have so much influence that 5,000 people chased him around the lake when he was trying to get away? How did he change the disciples' lives such that they were all willing to go to their deaths? They had the confidence and the strength of conviction to stand in the gap and to say, no, the way the Roman culture is working is wrong, even though it's telling us we're wrong, even though it's attacking us, even though it wants to put us to death. And we're going to stand for what we know is right. How did they have that strength and confidence? And we talked about building that type of confidence into our kids in the last week's program. As I really dug into Jesus and how he led and how he developed the amazing influence he had, not just upon the disciples, but also upon the crowds and ultimately on the entire direction and culture of Rome in terms of its religious beliefs, it was eye-opening. It was challenging. It really stretched me as a leader who had run a company and done it out of that position of authority and power. And now all of a sudden, I was seeing something completely different, something that actually made more sense to me, something that felt better to me and allowed me to, allowed my heart to begin to open, to become the person I believe God had really designed me to be 
But so much had happened to me growing up, moving around as an introvert and everything else. I'd really grabbed onto control. I'd really grabbed onto protecting myself, to isolating myself, and frankly, to not really digging in deep with people and building relationships and, and having that deeper heart connection, even with my own kids. So as we come back in a couple minutes, we'll continue to talk about authority and look at the authority base from which Jesus led and how he executed that leadership, because I believe it's absolutely transformational for yourself, for your company, and definitely for your family. Many parents today fear the impact that society, social media in particular, is having on their kids. Researcher, counselor, and parenting coach Jeff Schott offers a better way to lead your kid and give you more influence than YouTube, Snapshot, or video games. Through research with 3,500 kids, Jeff developed a new way of parenting that's working for thousands of families. The program is called Influential Parenting. Get it today at revivefamily.com radio. Bring your kid's heart to life and peace to your home. We're back with Revive Families Connecting Hearts. I'm Jeff Schott, and we're talking about influence. We're in this series about influence and why it works, and today we're talking about influence versus authority. And in the previous part of the program, we talked a little bit about the definition of authority, the definition of influence, and how I'd seen my life, my heart, my view of the world change as a result of really studying and looking at how Jesus led. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about how Jesus led and then how that shapes the way we view our authority and the way we use our authority in our homes. And there are two stories that really stick out to me from the Bible that really speak to how Jesus led, and he led so very, very differently than the leaders of his time period, than the rulers of Rome or the Pharisees, who definitely camped out on their positions of power and authority, and were losing their position of influence to this person from Bethlehem, this carpenter, this nobody named Jesus. So why was Jesus taking the influence away from these other people? How did he lead? One of those stories I love to look at is when the disciples come to their teacher, their rabbi, and say, teacher, teach us how to pray as John's disciples pray. And then Jesus goes on to teach them about prayer, and this is where we derive the Lord's Prayer from. It's from this passage. But given all I was studying and all the research I was doing with kids and how much I was wrestling with myself, I stopped and asked myself a couple of questions related to this passage that I'd never heard explored before. And the most important of these questions was, why are the disciples asking Jesus to teach them how to pray? They've been praying their whole lives. They've been doing the prayer of the Shema and the, the prayer of the 18 benedictions their whole lives. They've had these five daily prayer times where they've stopped and turned and faced the temple and done the routine and prayed the prayer. They've been praying since they were little children. Why are they saying, teacher, teach us how to pray as John's disciples pray? Clearly, one of the answers is the fact that John's disciples were praying very differently, and it must have seemed like they were more convicted, more sincere in their prayers than maybe the disciples were in their routine five required daily prayers. But I believe there's something else going on here, something that, frankly, I can't prove scripturally, but makes all the sense in the world. To me, this is probably what happened. 
Jesus gathered up all his disciples. He went out and called them. And once he had assembled the entire group, he began to lead them. He walked before them. He went out on the trail and they were moving from one city to the next. And they were hiking down this trail through Israel. And Jesus was listening to them, and they were chattering amongst themselves, getting to know each other for the first time as they're walking down the trail. And Jesus is out front. And like he's prone to do, Jesus slips away to pray while he's hiking down the trail. He's talking with his father. And as he's checked out, as he's walking down the trail praying, the time for the appointed prayers where the disciples would stop and turn and face the temple came. And Jesus kept on walking because he slipped away to pray. He's already praying in a different way, and he's moving down the trail. And after he finishes his prayers, he tunes back in, and he's listening, and he doesn't hear the disciples chattering behind them. He doesn't hear their footsteps. And he stops, and he turns around, and he looks, and they're not there. And he's going, what's going on? He, Of course, he would have known. And he walks back down the trail, up and over a hill and around a corner, and here they are. All the disciples have stopped. They've turned. They've faced the temple to pray, and they're doing their prayers. And as Jesus walks up, they're just finishing their appointed prayer, and Jesus says, do you enjoy your prayer time? And of course, they had the right answer. They said, of course, yes, we, we, we enjoy the prayer time. And he goes, well, do you really mean those prayers? And of course, we mean those prayers. You mean the same prayer that you've been saying five times a day your entire life? It's still that alive to you? And they kind of get a little sheepish, and they're not sure what to say. And they finally go, well, no. You know, it's really hard doing this appointed prayer time and saying the same thing day in and day out. It's hard to still really mean it. And he looks at him and says, you know what? You don't need to turn and face the temple anymore. You don't need to stop and do the appointed prayer time because you're with the Son of Man now. Turn and follow me. I'm sure at first the disciples were like, really? And they were excited. We don't have to stop and do this appointed prayer time five times a day, every day for the rest of our lives. And they were excited. But then they realized the next time they were walking through a town and the appointed prayer time came, guess what? They wouldn't stop and turn and face the temple. Jesus would keep walking and everybody would look at them and go, wow, look at those sinners. And then fear entered their hearts. What can we learn about Jesus in this time frame, the way he handled his authority? What I find fascinating from my research is this could have been a year and a half to two years into Jesus's ministry with the disciples before the disciples actually came to him and said, teacher, teach us how to pray. Jesus didn't sit him down the very first day when he gathered him up and say, okay, if you're going to follow me, here's what you have to do. You have to do a daily prayer time. You have to do a daily quiet time. You have to do this and you have to do that. Instead, he took away those daily requirements, allowed the disciples' hearts to reboot as he showed them how to love the unlovable, and then develop a desire to pray such that they would even come and kind of insult their rabbi, asking him to teach them, which wasn't their prerogative. They had developed such a strong desire to pray that they actually went to their teacher and said, teach us how to pray. And that's when Jesus taught them to pray. He didn't take his position and authority and expect performance. Rather, he developed a desire on the inside of the disciples to pray, and then he taught them to pray. 
What else can we see in Jesus and the way he led and how he handled authority? What I find fascinating is he had all power under heaven and earth. He had the ability to command lightning, to command mountains, to command earthquakes, all of those things. And yet we never see him force a single person to do a single thing against their will. And probably one of the most poignant stories to this effect is in the very last time with the disciples. The disciples have scattered and they've failed and they've run in fear as Jesus is arrested. And then he dies and he's put to death and he rises again and he begins to appear to the disciples. And in that last time with the disciples, he's in the room and the disciples are there and doubting Thomas is there. And Jesus looks at him and doubting Thomas says, I still don't believe. And instead of Jesus saying, I'm standing right in front of you, and I am God, and I have the power and authority under heaven and earth to command you, to force you to believe what I say, and you better start to believe right now or else I'll just eek, erase you from the planet. He didn't do that. He looked at Thomas and said, what's it going to take to get you to believe again? And Doubting Thomas thinks, and he goes, I'm going to have to stick my fingers in your side. And Jesus thinks, wow, that's going to hurt, but not as much as the cross. And if that's going to get you back in the game, you know what? Go ahead and stick your fingers in my side. And Doubting Thomas, with all of those doubts, was one of those disciples that went to his death teaching about Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus didn't use his power and authority in the way we have come to view our power and authority. Rather, he saw the power that influence could have in such an authority-based culture, a culture that, frankly, in Rome isn't far different from the culture that we have in the U.S. today, which is why I believe influence is so vital and so powerful for us today as parents, with our kids, in our homes, with our families, and frankly, in our places of work. When we lay down our power and authority like Jesus did, it speaks volumes because it says we care. It says we love. It says we have grace like Jesus had for the adulterous woman who had been ripped out of bed and was about ready to be stoned to death, which was the law, which was the obedience, which was the consequence tied to the disobedience. And Jesus prevented her, stepped in between her, and the people that were going to stone her, the men that were going to stone her, and protected her from being stoned. That type of act, that type of self-sacrificing act, gained incredible influence in that woman's life. And I believe that love and care and protection he showed her led to a massive change in her life after that. It's a similar change that I've seen happen in my kids' lives when I laid down my power and authority. They know I have it. They know I can use it, and they see that I don't, which is why they want to follow me. It's why they respect me. It's why they open up with me and talk with me at much deeper levels. It's why I've developed influence in their lives, and they've developed confidence because they're living their lives. As they've gotten older and they moved into pre-adolescence, I gave them more and more of the decisions for their lives. And what I've found is as I gave them the authority over their lives to make good or bad decisions, and I've helped them understand that good decisions lead to success and bad decisions lead to failure, it's amazing when they get a real decision to make, they get somber, they get more serious, and they make far better decisions than when we're trying to make the decisions for them. 
And so I believe as we lay down our authority as parents, as our kids get older, all of a sudden we need to be granting that authority over their lives to them. The authority to follow God, the authority to make good decisions, the authority to do what's going to lead to success and cause them to feel good about themselves, not only as people, but also as believers. It's that authority when we begin to transition to it that they grasp and they grasp it humbly. They grasp it with a bit of fear, but they take it seriously and they make far better decisions. Next week, As we continue this series talking about influence and why influential parenting works, we're going to be talking more about this thought of giving the kids the authority in their lives so that they develop the confidence to stand firm, just like Doubting Thomas did. It worked with all the personality types of the disciples and will work with all the personality types of our kids. So next week, we're going to be talking about it's your life, meaning it's our kid's life. And we're going to be talking about how we begin to delegate this authority to them as we continue this entire series on influence and how we gain true, deep, lasting influence like the Good Shepherd did in our kids' lives. Please go to our website, revivefamily.com, and sign up for our podcast so that you don't miss any of this series and consider taking our online class, Influential Parenting Today. Thanks so much. Have a great week. I'm Jeff Schott, and we're praying for you each and every day here at Revive Family. Have a great week. That's it for this edition of Revive Family Parenting in the 21st Century with Jeff Schott. We'll return soon with another program designed to help you become a wiser, more effective, more influential parent. Jeff's website is revivefamily.com. Parenting in the 21st Century is produced in association with Faith Radio. Jeff Schott is a pastoral counselor and coach. He is not a licensed healthcare professional. What you've heard is not a substitute for seeking professional medical or psychological support.